Have you ever noticed that sometimes people mess up their lives so much and they get so desperate that they, they actually turn to God? Um, sometimes when people get desperate enough, they may even want to uh, talk to me about things. I got a call this week from a, uh, uh, a lady, grown daughter, whose elderly mother was emotionally manipulating her, and she didn't know how to stop the manipulation without feeling like she was dishonoring her, her mother, you know, and it's just sort of a mess. Um, life can get messy sometimes. Um, sometimes when our lives turn out to be a mess, we... we Try to blame others. Um, sometimes we blame ourselves. The, the reality is probably a little bit of both, or a lot of both. Uh, the problem is, you know, when your life is a mess, it seems like everyone wants to blame, but no one wants to actually fix the thing. And uh, whoever to blame, uh, the outcome is the same. It's a mess. And we might even stand back, look at our lives, and, and make that kind of observation. Uh, that, uh, you know, how did I ever get in this position? Um, I never planned to be in this type of uh, situation. But I want you to understand something, that no matter what kind of uh, mess you might have made of your life or mess you might have found yourself in, it might, it might pale in comparison to what's coming, unless God intervenes. Uh, so please understand that that uh, there's a possibility in your life, if you don't start making right decisions now, that things can go further down that spiral. Well, I don't know if your life is a mess or not, but uh, I'm sure it'll do until the mess gets here. Um, today, we're going to look at two familiar characters, both of whom made somewhat of a mess of things, uh, one more than the other. Uh, two new chapters in their lives, and the uh, first one we're going to look at is this guy by the name of Lot. You remember him? He's uh, Abraham's nephew. And so take your Bible and turn to Genesis chapter 19. Genesis chapter 19, we're going to start in verse 30. The slides will appear behind me on the screen if you need to refer to those, but I encourage you always to take out your Word of God and to read it. And so we have this uh, pretty disturbing story about Lot and his two daughters. And we read in verse 30 that Lot went up from Zoar, little town there, and he stayed in the mountains and his two daughters with him, for he was afraid to stay in Zoar. And he lived in a cave, he and his two daughters. Let me give you a little bit of background about Lot, if you're not familiar with him. Like I said, Lot is the nephew of Abraham, and they traveled a long way to get to the general area where they are now in modern-day Israel. And uh, at one point, Lot and his servants and all of his flocks started to get into a little bit of a kerfuffle with uh, Abraham and his servants and his flocks. Apparently, there wasn't enough grass to feed all the flocks. And so uh, they started to uh, get crossways with each other, not Lot and Abraham so much, but rather the servants. And it was, became such a problem that Abraham uh, went up to Lot and said, hey, listen, we're blood, we're brothers, you know, and, and, and you know, technically I'm your uncle, but uh, we're blood, and so I want to uh, 
make an offer to you. Look to the north, the south, the east, and the west. You take your flocks wherever you want to go. Your choice. You get the best land. Lot looked around. He saw down in the valley to the east how green it was. The Jordan River flows through there. And he thought, that's the place for me. I'm going to get the choice area. So he went down into the valley and he settled into the cities, one city in particular. But the problem was, down in the valley where all the cities were, that's where all the wickedness was too. So Lot chose to live among the wicked, especially there in Sodom, rather than try to work things out with Abraham so that he could remain where God was at work. And that was a critical error when Lot decided to go plant his life among the wicked rather than the godly. And that's a major point of this story. Well, things didn't turn out so well. Lot uh, was eventually kidnapped because the city of Sodom was captured by a foreign king. Abraham came to the rescue and uh, recaptured Lot. And what does Lot do? Opportunity number two, to stay with Abraham. Nope. He goes back to Sodom. Well, as the story goes, a couple of men come to visit Sodom. That These men weren't actually just men. They were actually angels, but they appeared as men. Lot saw them coming into town. He showed them hospitality, invited them over to his house, uh, fed them a nice dinner. And uh, the problem then became that the other men in town, the Sodomites there in town, uh, surrounded the house and wanted to sexually abuse these two men who happened to be angels. So what does Lot do? He says, please don't treat my guests that, that poorly. Here's my daughters instead. Have them. And I'm sure his daughters weren't real happy about that. Uh, but uh, they refused. The Sodomites were so perverted, they said, we don't want your daughters, we want the men. We want to abuse the men. And so the, uh, the next morning, or, or later that, that day, uh, the angels blinded the Sodomites, and they were still clawing at the door trying to get in so they could get their kicks. And so uh, the next morning, actually, the angels grabbed Lot, literally. They grabbed Lot, they grabbed his wife, another angel, grabbed his two daughters, and they went out of town, drugged them out of town. And once they got out of town, they told Lot, escape for your life. Don't look back. You hear that, Lot's wife? Don't look back. Really want to warn you about that one. Don't look back. Don't stay in the valley. We're about to destroy this place. Escape to the mountains. Lot argues with the angels. Oh, I, I can't survive in the mountains. Please, let me go to this little town. It's called Zoar. What does Zoar mean? It means Little town, that's what it means. Let me, you know your town is little when it's called little town. And so he said, let me go to this little town. How wicked can it be? I'm going to just plant my life there. The angels relent. They said, okay, we won't destroy Zoar. But we're going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah and the other towns here in the valley. And then on the way, what does Lot's wife do? She looked back. And she looked back with a heart of longing for her home. Even though her home was being destroyed because of its wickedness, that's where she wanted to be. 
And you know, sometimes when people say things like, I I don't want to go to heaven. I don't want to be with God. I don't want to get to know God. Sometimes God gives them what they request. She wanted to go back to Sodom. So she essentially got the same judgment that Sodom received. And she was turned into a pillar of salt. So now it's Lot and his two daughters. They make their way to Zoar. I mean, how bad can it be? It's a small town. It can't be that wicked. It can't be like Sodom, can it? Bad things don't happen in small towns, right? Well, apparently, we're not told this explicitly, but apparently small towns can be wicked too. So much so that Lot became afraid to live in Zoar. Maybe he thought, you know what? These people are just as bad as the people in Sodom. God's going to destroy this place too. This is going to be Sodom and Gomorrah part two. I don't want to be here. Maybe that's what he thought. We're not sure, but what did he do? He got his daughters, and where does he go? To the mountains, to the very place the angels told him to go in the first place, but he refused. I mean, he told the angels he was afraid to go to the mountains. And now he's leaving the town, and where does he go? He goes to the mountains. You know, sometimes people don't make any sense. I don't know if you've ever noticed that about life. Sometimes people just don't make any sense. True story, been repeated numerous times. Church leadership says, hey, we need to put some new instruments on stage. We need to create more of a contemporary sound, a sound that people can relate to. You know, we need to get a guitar, some drums on stage. Well, inevitably, some angry Baptist will say, you know, if you change the the music of this church, I'm going to leave the church. Not knowing that him, by, him saying that makes everyone else want to vote for the change, you know. They'd, they'd be just fine with that. But he gets, he gets all upset if they're going to change it. The church decides to change. The angry Baptist leaves. And where does the angry Baptist go? He goes to a church that has contemporary music. <laughs> Happens all the time. Same thing with church pews. People say, let's replace the pews with chairs. Oh, you better not take my pew away. You take my pew away, I'm going to leave the church. Take the pews away, the guy leaves. Where does he go? He goes to a church with chairs. People are funny and not in a humorous way sometimes. You know, but what's happening with Lot is a lot more serious than that kind of nonsense where people aren't consistent. But Lot is the same way. He's not consistent. He says, I can't go to the mountains. He goes, Zoar, I got to go to the mountains. So he ends up in the mountains. And, um, you know, Lot, his situation is a lot more serious, but he just doesn't strike me as a serious person. He just doesn't strike me as someone who's very thoughtful. And so he decides that he's going to go live with his daughters in a cave. Think about this. Lot has lost everything. It wasn't that long ago that he had a house, he had servants, he had flocks. He was a wealthy man. He had all of these things. He had wealth. He had a wife. She became a little bit um, salty. But he had all these things, and he's lost it all. The only things he's got left are his daughters, the clothes on his back, and as we're about to see, alcohol. He had wine. And so at least on his way to the cave, he grabbed the wine. He probably made a list. What do I need to live in a cave? 
And he thought, I need my children, I need my clothes, and I need some alcohol if I'm going to live in a cave. That pretty much covers it, right? So here's Lot. He's got no future. You live in a cave. If that's your permanent solution, you've got no future. He's got no plan. He's got no goals. And he's got no consideration for his daughters who are both single. I mean, what did he say to them? Come on, girls. You'll love our new house. It's a no-bedroom, no-bathroom fixer-upper. I got it for a great price. Nothing. And so there they go. They go off to this place. And it might look like Lot had two options. Two bad options. Bad option number one, stay in Zoar. Well, that's not going to work for whatever reason. Bad option number, number two, go live in a lonely cave. But you know what? Life is not just filled with two options. There's always other choices that can be made. There was a third option. Go back to Uncle Abraham. Go back to where God is at work. That was an option. But Lot had a bad habit of not placing his life where God is at work. Let's see how this works out when we place our lives where God is not at work. Next verse. We read, Then the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man on earth to come in to us after the manner of the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and let us lie with him, that we may preserve our seed through the Father. Ooh, what in the world is going on here? Here's the plan. Let's get Daddy drunk, and then let's get pregnant from him. Now, why in the world would they come up with such a plan? Well, because they're desperate. You've heard the phrase, desperate times call for desperate measures, right? By the way, don't live your life by that phrase. Desperate times call for God. That's what it calls for. Just because you got desperate times doesn't mean you need to act like a fool. But that's what they did. Why? Because they're desperate. They said, there's, there's not a man on earth. Well, there's a little bit of hyperbole. There's obviously men on the earth. They just came from a city called Zoar. But, you know, i got to give them this. When you live in a cave, it probably feels like there's not a man on earth, Right? your prospects of finding a husband in the cave are pretty slim. And, and then they said, our father is old. Translation, you know, if we wait around too long, this plan won't be the only thing that doesn't work, okay? And so now, just to be clear, hundreds of years later, when Moses was writing God's law, what these girls did, it actually made Moses' list of things not to do. You don't do what these girls were about to do. But you know what? They don't get an excuse just because they did it before God wrote it down. There are some things that are so wrong that you don't need it written down for you. I mean, you don't need chapter and verse. For this nonsense. Example, 
Cain murdered his brother Abel long before, ever God, long before God ever said, Thou shalt not murder. Does that give Cain a pass? No. You just understand. You don't murder people. You don't murder your brother. So just because the law came later doesn't make the crime okay. You see, God's law is written in our hearts. Every person's heart. God's law is written there. And we just instinctively know some things are wrong. Don't do those things. We instinctively know some things are wrong. They are crimes against God. Don't do those things. Well, they're not listening to their heart at all. Verse 33 so they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. He was so drunk, he blacked out. I mean, how many of you have ever gotten so drunk? Never mind, don't answer that question. <laughs> but you know, if you're going to seriously black out, scientists say you're going to be about three times the legal limit. Um, that's a lot of alcohol. That's how drunk they got daddy. Verse 34, now it happened on the following day that the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also, and you go in and lie with him, that we may preserve our seed through our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also, and the younger arose and lay with him, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus both the daughters of Lot conceived by their father. And the firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. To what day? To Moses' day. Moses is the one writing this around in the 1400s B.C. As for the younger, she also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami, he is the father of the sons of Ammon to this day. And there it is. That's the reason that this sordid tale is in the Bible. Why? Because hundreds of years after the event, Moses is writing down this story, and he's answering the question, why do we have so much trouble with the Moabites and the Ammonites today? So he's giving the history, the origin story, if you will, of these tribes, of these nations that were causing the nation of Israel so much trouble later. You see, by the time of Moses, the Moabites had a king by the name of Balak, and he ordered the seer Balaam to curse the Israelites. You remember Balaam and his donkey? Uh, that story there. Balak ordered Balaam to curse God's people. And the Ammonites... On the other hand, they were, give, they were given the land to the southeast by God himself. And Israel did not attack the Ammonites on their way to the promised land because God had given them that land, and so they passed through. But later, both the Moabites and the Ammonites proved to be a stumbling block to Israel. And that is Lot's legacy. Lot is never mentioned again in Scripture except by analogy. Lot is largely forgotten, especially in comparison to his uncle Abraham. And that's a lesson for you and me. 
What kind of legacy do you want to leave? I'm not talking about whether you are going to be famous or not. It's not about being famous. I'm talking about whether you're going to leave a legacy of godliness. Or are you going to leave a legacy where people will tell their children, don't turn out to be like him. Don't turn out to be like her. They are living examples of what not to do. What kind of legacy are you going to leave? Well, then we come to Abraham. Abraham is the chosen one. Abraham is godly. But you know what? Abraham messed up on more than one occasion. And he lies. In chapter 20, verse 1, we read, Abraham journeyed from there, from from where he was, toward the land of the Negev, that's to the south, and settled between Kadesh and Shur. Then he journeyed, he sojourned in Gerar. Where in the world is Abraham going? Who told Abraham to move? God told Abraham on more than one occasion, this is the land. This is your land. This is it. For some reason, Abraham decides, you know, I'm going to move over here to another area. And so Abraham goes to the south and heads to Gerar. What's Gerar? That's a town that later became a Philistine town. I'll tell you the two most famous Philistines. Delilah and Goliath. Not good company. That's where Abraham decides to go, even though those two characters didn't turn up until much later. And so Abraham is in this town, this little city-state, this nation called Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, She is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. This is the same thing Abraham did way back in Genesis chapter 12. When Abraham went to Egypt and he, and he told the people there, oh, she's not my wife, she's my sister. He did that to save his own hide, to save his own skin, because they thought, he thought, well, if I say that she's my wife, they'll kill me and then they'll take her. So I'll just give her to them so I save my own life. But you know, this time, it's much worse than what he did before. Why? Because the Lord himself just told Abraham back in chapter 17, which was not that long ago, chronologically, he just told Abraham that he would have a child with Sarah. In fact, Sarah most likely would have already been pregnant at this time. And they traveled to Gerar, and he says, she's my sister. I mean, Abraham He's not the last person to keep sinning in the same way over and over again, is he? I mean, when you do that, when you got your pet sin that you like to play with, and you keep sinning over and over again in the same way, you just bring trouble on yourself. And the Lord, he won't break his promises, but he may let you get in trouble. He never promised you that you would never get in trouble especially when you bring trouble on yourself. But the Lord won't break his promises. Now, I want you to think about this with uh, Abraham and Sarah. If Abimelech, the king of Gerar, if he had relations with Sarah, and then Sarah had the child Isaac, Isaac's father would always be in doubt. You mean to tell me that his dad is 100 years old? I don't think so. His dad's probably Abimelech. 
God wasn't going to let that happen. Verse 3. But God came to Abimelech in a dream of the night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is married. That'll get your attention. When God comes to you and says very clearly, You're a dead man. Dead man walking. Well, Abimelech, that got his attention. Verses 4 and 5. Now, Abimelech had not yet come near her. And then he said, Lord, will you kill a nation, even the righteous? Did he, meaning Abraham, did he not himself say to me, she is my sister? And she herself also said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Then God said to him in the dream, Indeed, I know that in the integrity of your heart you have done this. And I also have held you back from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. So now, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you. And you will live. But if you do not return to her, know that you shall surely die. You and all who are yours. God basically says, if you touch her, you're dead. And the only reason you're not dead is because I didn't let you touch her. And then God calls Abraham a prophet. And Abimelech must have been thinking, God, if this is one of your prophets, why is he doing this kind of thing? I mean, why is he lying about his wife? You know, sometimes preachers have feet of clay. So I've heard. Let's move on. So Abimelech rose early in the morning. And he called all of his servants and told all these things in their hearing, and the men were greatly afraid. You know, I'd, I'd almost be tempted if I was Abimelech to just keep this little episode to myself. But he didn't do that. He called everybody. Everyone gathered around. And he told them everything that God said to him in the dream. Now, why? Why did he tell all of his servants about this? Why not keep it private? I think he was calling them as witnesses. Witnesses of what God said would happen. And I think he may have also told them, Abraham's God told me that if Sarah is touched, he will kill us all. And if any of you sorry people even look at Sarah, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill your wife. I'm going to kill your dog. I'm going to kill your servants. I'm going to kill everything about you, and no one will remember you anymore. I think he put some fear into these servants as well. He wanted to make sure that his hide was safe from the threat that he had received from God. Well, now he's not real happy with Abraham. 
We read in verse 9. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you, that you have brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. Apparently Abraham didn't say a thing. So then Abimelech said to Abraham, What have you seen that you have done this thing? And Abraham said, Because I said, Surely there is no fear of God in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she actually is my sister, the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. And it happened when God caused me to wander from my father's house that I said to her, This is the loving kindness which you shall show to me everywhere we go. Say of me, he is my brother. Abimelech then took some sheep, some oxen, male and female slaves, and gave them to Abraham and returned his wife to him. And Abimelech said, behold, my land is before you. Settle wherever is good in your sight. Then Abimelech had something to say to Sarah. To Sarah, he said, Behold, I have given your brother, notice he doesn't say your husband, I've given your brother 1,000 pieces of silver. Behold, it is your vindication before all who are with you, and before all you are cleared. Abimelech was giving Abraham the bride's price, the dowry, just to make it clear. She's not mine, she is yours. Financial transaction took place. And Abraham prayed to God. And God healed Abimelech and his wife and his maidservants so that they bore children. Here's something new we didn't know up until this point. For Yahweh, that's the Lord, had utterly shut all the wombs of the household of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. What a strange pair of stories we have here in the book of Genesis. What do we make of them? Lesson number one. God will keep his promises. God made a promise to Abraham and Sarah. You're going to have a child. Just between the two of you, you're going to have a child. And God's going to keep his promise. But you know what? God won't keep you out of trouble. Play stupid games. Win stupid prizes. You need to get right before the Lord. You keep messing around with a whole bunch of nonsense, you're going to bring some bad things on yourself. And God is not obligated to rescue you out of your troubles. He might out of his mercy. 
But he's not obligated to do anything other than keep his promise that you are his child. Lesson number two. You need to be where God wants you to be. You need to be where God wants you to be. Well, how do I know where God wants me to be? This is not a hard question. God wants you to be with Him. That's where God wants you to be. You know, if you keep finding yourself away from God, that's a sign that you need to change some things up. You might need to change your locale. You might need to change your browsing habits on your internet. You might need to change the relationships that you have with people that are constantly dragging you away from God. If you keep finding yourself away from God, you might need to change some things. Where do you need to be? You need to be with your family. You need to be with the people of God at your church. You need to be in the Word of God. You need to be in prayer. Simply put, you need to be with God. But if you choose not to be where God is, well, there's nothing more I can tell you. I've got no profound words of wisdom for the disobedient. I don't know what to tell you at that point. People will sometimes come to me for counseling, whether it's marriage counseling or other things, and I tell them right up front, my job is to show you what this book says about your life. If you'll do it, I'll walk with you all the way. But if you decide to listen to what God's Word says and then go your own way, counseling's over. Can't help you at that point. It's your decision. All I can tell you is this, that the people who decide to plant their lives where God is, end up with lives that are transformed into a life that has peace, into a life that has hope, into a life that has love. This is God's plan for you, but you got to be where God is. And by the way, when you plant your life where God is, your eternal destiny changes too. So the question is, where are you going to be? Where are you going to be with your life?